Well, as Mark uh, mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday. Praise be to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And though we have not chosen this year to alter our sermon series around the church calendar with regards to Ascension, which was last Sunday, or Pentecost uh, this Sunday, nonetheless, worth drawing our minds and hearts to it. So we did call the audible and make the switch to um, John 14, but also because it does relate to our text this morning in that our text this morning does uh, spend time on the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Indeed, as Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you orphans. I'm going away, but you should actually desire that. Uh, again, because Jesus' presence now is not limited, if you will, um, in this um, act of physicality. Jesus still is physical. Even his ascended and risen body is physical. It's glorified. But the gift of the Spirit means that, the, that Jesus Christ is dwelling in each of us by way of his Spirit intimately present with each one of us. I will go away, but then we will make our abode with you. Right? Jesus Christ is dwelling in us by, as is the Father, by way of the Spirit of God, our comforter, our counselor, our advocate, our teacher, all these things. You can go and jump over to John 16 as well, as Jesus continues uh, this talk of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that we have as we have him. He will teach us all things, we're told, regarding Christ. Well, today we continue on in Romans 8. And again, we will talk about the Holy Spirit here uh, because our text takes us there. So let's take a look at this. We're um, moving on now to uh, verse 25. And we're reading verses, uh, excuse me, 26. Uh, no, 25. 25 through 30. And you'll remember that in where we are now is Paul has been working through this beautiful argument uh, about, about the, as we're calling it, the therefores of the resurrection, right? What do we have in light of the victory of Christ, his death, but also his resurrection? And we know we have no condemnation because of what he has done. We know that the righteous requirement of the law has been met in us. And we also know, as we delighted in, that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as we thought about last week, this comes to us now. It's something that we can rejoice in now. That's how the text begins. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And yet the now is a moment of suffering. It's a moment where we still sin, right? We have this weird tension that's going on. I say weird, a dynamic tension that we have to deal with. Where on the one hand, I have this amazing declaration and proclamation. You are pure, right? You are not condemned. On the other hand, I do condemnable things. And there's a tension there, right? On the one hand, I'm called a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet... We live lives of brokenness. This is what you know leads some to the prosperity gospel, because there's these echoes in the Bible, and not so much echoes. I mean, just flat out statements, right? You are co-heirs with Christ. That you are. I remember when I was when I was young. I remember the language being of the prosperity gospel that they would say to the parishioners is, you know, you are king's kids. You know, you you have the inheritance of the kingdom, and it's true. 
I, I am a child of the king. I'm a king's kid. Um, but that's where the rub is, right? Because I'm a king's kid. I'm a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have everything. And yet we live lives of brokenness. It doesn't look like we're king's kids, right? The, the Apostle Paul, did the Apostle Paul looks like a, look like a king's kid? He, he lived a life of destitution. He lived a life of imprisonment. He lived a life of beatings. He lived a life of fear, you know, fear and trouble. I have trouble in the country, trouble in the city, trouble in the here, trouble there. I mean, is this how the Lord treats his kids? What kind of king allows his kids to be treated like this? And so you've had the prosperity gospel say, well, no, you're not living faithfully. If you were really living faithfully, then you would live the life of the king. And that's the prosperity gospel. But that's unfortunately just not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul says. No, we are to pick up our cross and follow him. This is the way of the king. But that's the tension of these passages. There is therefore now no condemnation, yet I do condemnable things and I feel that. And that's why I have to come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to be reminded that no, there is no condemnation. Good, confess your sins. Because when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation. Rejoice in that. And yes, you are a king's kid. Don't you forget it. When you suffer for the gospel, do not be surprised. We looked at last week in 1 Peter 4. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. But inasmuch as you suffer with Christ, rejoice. This is the tension that we have to live in. This is the now that this amazing passage in Romans 8 comes to us in. And this is the beauty of the Christian faith. There is something, as we've already prayed, Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, reserved in heaven for you. It's done. It's yours. You have been, Ephesians 1, blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Not will be. You have been blessed. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he says of God. That's done. It's yours now. Yet, in this moment, what God has called us to do is to suffer. What God has called us to do is grind it out. What God has called us to do is confess our sins and wrestle with them and put to death the deeds of the flesh, knowing that now there is no condemnation and that we are co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so last week we thought about this groaning, and we especially spent time in Sunday school on this, the groaning of nature that we have in the text. So we're going to let's let's step back and look and I'll read the text for us this morning. But I want to step back because I want to pick up on this groaning uh, that's going on. So I'm going to go back and read from last week's text. And we'll start in verse 18 and read through 30 of Romans chapter 8 so that we feel the context of this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. 
but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. The context, the immediate context of our passage here this morning, then, is this groaning, this suffering. If we go back again to the last verse of the text just before the one we read in verse 17 to 20, he says we're co-heirs with Christ. And again, if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. There it takes the whole prosperity gospel and just flushes it right down the toilet, in my opinion. Like this is yours. If we suffer with him, that's what King's kids do. But the context is now that of suffering. Hey, there's no condemnation. Hey, you're a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, but you need to know it's now. It's in this moment of suffering. We are in the age of the curse, and that will go on until Christ comes again and finally puts an end to it and takes death and Hades and throws it into the lake of fire. Until then, we must suffer with Christ. Until then, nature is going to groan, waiting and longing for that day. That's what we spent time thinking about last week, and again, especially in Sunday school. Nature is just wanting to be what God made it to be, and the curse that we brought upon it has stifled it. And creation is groaning, longing for the chance when it can, if you will, give birth to new creation. But Paul says it's not just nature which grows. We groan. We feel this. We're longing for the day when finally we're free. Hit that little spell on the way home from Presbytery coming home yesterday. I was with Kevin Sherritt and with Justin riding home, you know. And we hit that one stretch. It was, you know, somewhere in Catskill. And we're coming down the throughway and all of a sudden age came up, you know. And the afflictions of getting older and how quickly time flies uh, and all the problems of life. <laughs> they just start coming. And given the couple prayer requests that came upon us at the at the uh, Presbytery meeting and how I told Kevin, Kevin and I are very similar when it comes to this, how every time Christina calls me, my phone goes off and it's her. I just curse. And I'm like, oh, no. I just feel like I live with this anxiety that I'm going to get bad news. Uh, she's going to tell me something. There's a problem. I wait. It sounds very weird, but it's a problem I struggle with. I wait to hear her voice and the tone. And because of some kind of PTSD, I don't know what I have. Uh, I'm just waiting for there to be a shook voice telling me something I don't want to hear. Maybe because so many people report to me. I get a lot of news all the time. And, um, you know, you're dealing with news. And I just get this when Christina calls me. I'm like, so badly wanting her to go, hey. You know, I'm like, okay, good. It's not one of the kids didn't have a problem. There's nothing like that. 
And I was sharing with Kev on the way home as we were going back and forth and both bemoaning this problem that we both have. Uh, rejoicing in the fact that the day will come in glory when there's no more angst. There's no more worry. There's no more tension like that. It's just broken. It's just delight. It's just freedom, right? There's no frustration. These things, don't we groan? I groan, okay? I groan. I can't put words to it, as we'll see. The scriptures say, yeah, that's why the spirit's there, to put words to that. Because there's this groaning. That it's not just nature that's groaning. I'm groaning. I'm longing for freedom from the curse, aren't you? We live under this burden, under this cloud of death. We know it's there. We know that disaster is like right around the corner. It's like very thin veneer. Because we were commenting on how, you know, little kids, you know, this child fell off the bunk bed. And Justin said, great. I literally just yesterday bought bunk beds for my kids. And so, you know, it's like you now you have that to worry about because you'd like to think kids never get hurt falling off bunk beds. And then you hear this horrible story and you're thinking, oh, great. Now I have that to worry about. And I told Justin, well, yeah, well, if it's not bunk beds, it's a million other things. Like this is the nature now of having children is that now you have all their problems to worry about. And there's an infinite number of things that can get them. And this is just the problem. And then guess what? They get older and they start driving and then it doesn't go away. And then guess what? They get married and they have kids. And now you're worried about their problems and the grandkids problems. I mean, this is life. Okay. This is, we live under the burden of this affliction. And if you're like me, you groan. For the day when I don't have to worry about all that. So nature grows. And we grow. In the now. Now, Paul in this text gives us comfort. Three comforts. There's probably more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them into three. Okay? So I'm just going to pick out three. Kind of cluster them into three. The first one is you have the gift of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do in this text? Pretty amazing. He joins you in your groaning. Not only does he join you in your groaning, because it's very, it's tricky here. Who's groaning in the text that we're looking at here? Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Okay, I'm weak. I'm embarrassed to tell you that I don't like it when Christina calls me. Okay, I'm embarrassed to tell you when the, the school calls me. Okay, I get the school comes up on my phone like, oh no. I'm embarrassed to tell you that because it's a weakness. It's a weakness. There's a fear. There's an anxiety, right? From from Matthew Matthew six. Like, why am I doing that? Don't I know that the Lord's not with me, hearing this news for the first time? Whatever's coming over that phone line, God is completely sovereign over. Like, do I really believe that or don't I? So I'm embarrassed to tell you that. It's good for you to hear your pastor's a weak vessel. Well, good. Then I'm glad for, for verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to, or how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession with us, for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, the for us, you see the little footnote there. That's not in some text. He makes intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. The complication of this verse is whose groanings are the groanings? Is it? And when it says for us, it makes us seem as if the groanings, the Holy Spirit is groaning. And in fact, it may be. Or it might be that the Holy Spirit is interceding alongside with our groanings, the groanings he said we just had. 
And I don't feel the need to untangle that because I don't feel like there's some theological truth that's hanging there for us right now that in order to make my point, we have to say, but here's what we can say. We are groaning, and in our groanings, Paul is saying the Holy Spirit is there in and with them, either groaning along with us and thus interceding, or with intimately attentive to our groanings and putting words to them and interceding for us to the Father. The comfort that Paul gives to you here is you are not alone in the now. You have the first fruits. Granted, you are not where you will one day be when you are in that place and all the worries are gone and every tear is wiped away and you just sit and feast at the banquet of the Lamb. Granted, you are not there yet, but you have the first fruits of it. You have the new creation abiding in you. You have the Holy Spirit as an aid. You have a comforter, a counselor. You have an advocate that knows your heart and your longings and your groanings and who loves you and who takes them and puts words to them and brings them perfectly, even when you don't know what to pray. Because certainly in the midst of trials and circumstances, I don't know. I'm going to, all I can do is cry out what I want in the moment or what I think is right, but I have no idea what's best. Again, I, I, I go back and back again. To the disciples at the time of the cross, Jesus is being crucified. I know they're crying out and praying for his deliverance. They don't know what to pray. All they can do is groan. The Holy Spirit is with us, with our groanings, and he is interceding to the Father on our behalf. And that is a comfort to us. Yes, I know you're weak. If you're like me, and some of you are not anxious people, and that's just a gift from God. But if you tend to be anxious, you read the Matthew chapter 6 passage. And you're like, mm -hmm. I live in constant violation of this. But in my weakness, the Holy Spirit is given to me. And he is there with me in my groanings. And he is making intercession for me. That he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He is taking my groanings. He is sanctifying my longings. And he is bringing what is good and right and true according to the will of God, which I do not know. I cannot know. I mentioned this in Chaz's case, right? We pray for something good. It seems like a very good thing for him to be able to get the back surgery. Why the heck wouldn't God ordain that to happen? I have no idea. All I know is we can cry out and say, God, this is what we think is right. And the Holy Spirit takes our longings when we don't even know the will of God, and he sanctifies it, and he prays on our behalf. Now, that brings us to the second comfort. The first comfort is, hey, you got the Holy Spirit. Good. Hey, good news is this doesn't depend on you and rely upon you and your strength. But here's the second comfort, and Paul just links this, and we know. Because you'd say, okay, well, great. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is bringing, he's sanctifying my requests, even when my requests aren't the best thing, right? Maybe I'm, Jesus said, no good father when his son asked for bread would give him a stone. No good father when he asked for a fish would give him a scorpion. Yeah, but it may in fact be, and I know this is hard for us to imagine, it may be that I'm asking for a stone. Also, no good father might give his son a stone when he asks for a stone. You know, he might say, I know you're asking for this, but this is what you really need. And sometimes I think I'm asking for bread, but in fact, I'm asking for a stone. Right? Sometimes I, I think I'm asking for 
a fish, but I'm asking for a scorpion, right? I used the example of Andy when he was four and he was in the hospital and he needed a blood transfusion. And it was a pretty bad time. I was very concerned for him. It was very, very scary. And we're in the hospital and Andy had actually kind of been unconscious for several hours. And when he came back, the, the nurses were trying to find the vein and they couldn't get it. And they kept stabbing him and poking him and poking him. He couldn't get it, couldn't get it. And Andy starts crying. And I was like, wow, I hadn't heard of Andy for like six hours. He'd been unconscious. And the first thing Andy says when he becomes conscious is, dad calls me out. I was like, what? (laughs) He's like, dad, make them stop. Dad, make them stop. Now, everything in me just wanted to become like the Hulk. And like, just start throwing nurses out of the the way. You know, don't stop hurting my son. You know, he called for his dad. You know, my son is asking for his dad for bread, right? Make them stop. The problem is, son. And I know my little three and a half year old can't understand he needs a blood transfusion, right? So there's no understanding this for a three and a half year old. He just looks at his dad and says, what the heck? My superhero dad, I know he can stop these people. I tell him I'm a superhero. So my superhero dad, I know he can make this stop. Why is he not doing it? I'm asking my dad for bread. He's giving me a stone, right? Well, no, son. I know in your little three and a half year old brain, it seems like you're asking me for bread. I get that. I get that. But you're actually asking me for a stone. If I make them stop, you die. So nurses, do what you got to do and get it done. Uh, I prefer you get it done now, but get it done. But of course, Andy's three and a half. He can't understand that. Well, in many ways, I'm three and a half, right? I can't understand. So I pray. I ask dad, make it stop. Make them stop dad. But I can't, I can't see. And the Holy Spirit then comes. He knows the will of God and he sanctifies my prayers and he gets it done. He gets done what needs to be done for my good and for the glory of God. Well, how do you know that? Well, Paul says we know that. Verse 20, uh, 28, the, you know, one of these great refrigerator magnet verses, right? That we, we have, you know, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Tremendous comfort. Paul is saying, I mean, he doesn't even try to convince us of this. He just goes, because here's what we know. Look, the spirit is praying for what we really need. And here's what you know, right? You know that whatever it is, is working for your good. Now, just quickly, verse 28. And at some point in my teaching here in all these years, I know we've talked about this, but let's just quick break down this comfort. So the first comfort is we have to give to the spirit. The second comfort is all things are working together for good. And let's break uh, verse 28 down into four subpoints very quickly. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love him. So first point is all things, all things. I literally want to break this down into four phrases. What's working together for good? All things. Not just the things that are affecting me. Everything that's happening in the cosmos right now. Forget in America. Forget in Westchester County. Forget in my little puny space all things that are happening the things that are happening in new york city right now the things that are happening in bangladesh right now the things that are happening on mars right now all things every atom every molecule in the universe all things good things and bad things current things and past things All things and future things to be sure. 
all things, Paul says, are working together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There is nothing, not one molecule, as R.C. Sproul so famously said, there's not one maverick molecule. There's not one molecule that's moving in some other direction. Everything is under God's superordination, working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Now, that has to bring you comfort. Okay. Joseph's brothers, it doesn't matter. Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, Pharaoh, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick, man, it does all of them. Everything is working for the good of God's people. And that's a, you, you just, you've got to just drill that into your head and heart. So you believe it. Because Paul says we know it. And we know that all things, second phrase, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's not that everything is good. It's just that everything is working together. Even the evil that happened to Joseph by his brothers has a place within God's sovereign purpose. It cannot, the point is, nothing can frustrate his sovereign purposes. I know this thing that happened may not be good. Okay, I get sticking you with a needle is not good, right? It's bringing pain. I get that. But it's working in the grand scheme of things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So that does not mean that we have to interpret everything that happens to me as good. That's not what this verse is saying. It doesn't mean, okay, hey, smile, that bad thing is actually not bad. It's actually good. No, that's not what this text is saying. It's saying all things, good things and bad things, will work together for good. And that's very important to keep in mind. Because we don't want to, we don't have to, this verse is not telling us to be sugary sweet about things that really stink. What happened to Joseph stunk. It was evil. Brothers, what you meant in chapter 50, he says the famous verse on that. Brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. But what you did was evil. It's just that it's working together. It can't, even the most evil thing you can do cannot frustrate the good purposes of my sovereign God. It was evil what you did. But God will work it into the symphony of his grace. So all things work together, third phrase, for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And this is very important for us to reckon with what does that mean? What is the good that all things are working together for? I have to think about that because what we tend to do is think the good is my, my temporary happiness. My temporary prosperity, right? My health, my life, my loved ones, right? I mean, we 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 kind of zoom in our our good to mean right now. So Andy can't understand that, right? Andy's three and a half. He's you know the good is no pain. What Andy can't see is no. Actually, Andy, the good is your life. When you're 22, you're going to thank me that I let that I had the nurses do this. I know you can't understand that right now because you're thinking, Dad, if you really cared about my good, you would not allow this pain. I know that's, of course, what else could he think? He's trying to have. But that makes the most sense. He just can't see what the good is. Well, the same thing happens to us. What is the good that all things are working for? And again, we can, and I think this is how 
many people translate it when it ends up on the refrigerator magnet, right? Is don't worry, this is all going to work out for your good, and you know, and it's going to work out well in the end, or something like that. Or I know this bad thing happened, but let's wait to see what the good results kind of pop up out of it are. And that does happen sometimes, and maybe sometimes you get to see that, but that's not what the text is saying. What is the good to which all things are working? He goes on in the next passage to say it, verse 29. So let's just hold on the last phrase of 28 for a second and skip over to 29 because I think to understand it, we got to look there. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. For, here's how we know, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, okay, here now is the, the where it's going. Here's the end, the telos of what your predestination is, why God chose to save you, what he's doing in your life. Here's what it's all about. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is it all about? What is the good that all things are working together for? And do you view this as the good that you want everything to be about? Namely, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is saying everything is working for. That is the good. Everything in the cosmos is working for God's people to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what's good. Not the reduction of pain immediately, not removal of anxiety, so Bill, deal with it. Because even the having to grapple with the fear of seeing Christina call me is driving me somewhere. It's driving me. It's working on me. It's sanctifying me. By God's grace, it's doing something in me to conform me to the image of his son. And the good things are doing that, and the past has been doing that, and the future will do that, and you're doing that in my life, and I'm doing that in your life. And people, I don't even know, whatever's going on out there, it's all working to that end for me and for you. So all things work together for that good. To who? To those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Here's, here's the reality. There is a condition on this. This is true only for those who are Christ's. Only those who love God and who are called according to his purpose are those for whom all things work for good. I think, and this is hard to say, but actually for those who are not in Christ, it's the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Nothing works for good. Nothing. Not even the best thing works for good for those who do not love God and who are not called according to his purposes. Even the best thing will be to them damnation. It will be judgment unto them. This is a hard reality, but it's one we must grapple with. In the end, we will find that even the greatest blessings become weights that sink us down to hell. If we do not love God, if we are not in Christ, then nothing, if we are not being conformed to the image of his son, there is no other alternative. Anything else is death. Anything else is non-existence. Anything else is idolatry. Anything else is destructive. This promise is for those who are in Christ. And brothers and sisters, you are in Christ. And therefore, this amazing comfort is yours. And if you are not in Christ, and anybody listening, if you are not in Christ, then 
please do not find any comfort from what I'm saying. And I know that's a hard thing to say, but only take it and get on your knees because in Christ alone, can we have a comfort like this? And he is all sufficient. It's only in him that there's no condemnation. It's only in him that you're co-heirs. It's only in him that all things work together for good. And outside of him, none of it. First comfort. And we are in him, by the way, by his grace. We're not in him because we're the better people. Right? Bill Spanger is not in Christ. This doesn't apply to him because I figured out or because I'm just the smartest or because I'm better than the non-believer driving up and down the road out here. Sorry, the hypothetical non-believer. That's not it. It's a gift of grace, and we ought to fall on our knees before the Lord for it. First comfort, we have the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. Second comfort, all things are working together for good. And then third comfort is the thing that matters most is an absolute certainty, right, for us in him. For, and this gets us to verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called, and those he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. What is known as the golden chain of salvation. This, And it's a chain because it's linked, 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 linked. Right? The comfort here is for those of us who are in Christ, from beginning to end, it's God. From beginning to end, he's sovereign. This, Even this does not depend on the strength of your grip on him. Your grip is not strong enough. But the good news of your salvation is that the certainty of it is about his grip on you. Those whom he foreknew, and the word foreknew there means he loved. I knew you, right, when you were in your mother's womb. Right, God loved us. He knew us from before the foundation of the world. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. But here, there's a link. We could put all. All those he foreknew, he predestined. And all those he predestined, he called. And all those he called, he justified. And all those he justified, he glorified. Right? This link, link, link. It's not like, well, some of those got this, and some of these get that, and some of these. So there's like a trickle down, and people are falling off on the wayside as we go down this golden chain. No. The link is there through it all. Those he foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, which are those he foreknew, he called. And those he called, which are those he predestined, which are those he foreknew, he justified. And those who he justified, he called, predestined because he foreknew and loved them, he glorified them. From beginning to end, it's a link of certainty because it's in the hands of God. And if this is true, if our salvation is pure sovereign gift, then again, in the now of the affliction, in the now of my condemnable acts while I'm hearing no condemnation, in the now of suffering and yet I'm a king's kid, in the now of all these trials of weakness, the thing that matters most is my union with him. And that from beginning to end is in his sovereign hand. And Paul says, we know this. Like he just gives it back to you. Like I'm not convincing you of this. We know it. And then we're going to move from there now to like the consequences of the consequences. Like, so what now? You see it in the next word. What then shall we say? Paul's like, let me help you with how we should respond to this. I'm going to give you the words to say and the, or the questions we can ask and the affirmations that we can make. But in your weakness, the spirit has been given through Christ at Pentecost to aid you, to strengthen you. And because of that, you know everything is working for your good, especially 
Your salvation from beginning to end is the work of a sovereign God from you. And if you are loved by God, and brothers and sisters, you are loved by God. The scriptures tell you you are loved by God. And if you have any doubt, ask yourself, by the Spirit, do I cry out, Abba, Father? Right? That's what we looked at. If you if you look at God and say, Abba, there's confirmation by the Spirit that this is true of you. And if for some reason it's not, then fall on your face before God today. Fall on your face and call upon him for his mercy. He is rich in mercy and ready to give, to be sure. So, brothers and sisters, in the now of the affliction, take comfort in all that is yours in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that all things are working for the good of those of us who love you and who have been called according to your purposes. And we know that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us from before the foundation of the world. And you've chosen us to be your children. And you have called us out of death into life. And you have justified us, making us now have no condemnation. And Lord, you will therefore most certainly glorify us, making us full inheritors of all that is Christ. And so in the midst of the groanings, in this time of affliction, in the now of today, strengthen us, we pray. For we confess that we are weak, but we thank you that you have given us your spirit, an advocate, a friend, a counselor, a teacher and guide who is for us wisdom and who intercedes for us through your son to you, Father, for all that is good for us. And we thank you for that. And we give you praise in the name of our Savior. Amen.